this time I'd like to invite Matt Mosler up uh, to read God's Word and uh, to share a song with us and uh, to share with us from God's Word. So, Matt, welcome. Hi, everybody. I'm going to be uh, speaking out of Revelation this morning in the verse I want to focus on. He's actually found in uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, and it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Or, or go hogs, or whatever, you know. Um, I was very thrilled uh, to be asked to come here again today. I always love coming here, and I was um, always looking forward to, to getting here and to singing with my good buddy, Don Carroll, and uh, Don found out that I was coming. She left. <laughs> but then I see my good buddy, Fran Miller, everybody, on the keyboard. So uh, Fran and I are going to, we, we, uh, we've not rehearsed this, but we're going to do a little ditty. <laughs> Hit it, Fran. soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant. Sing with me now. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Over us sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. That does not rhyme. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of glory and grace. Fran Miller, everybody. Oh, stop it. You know, if you're not really used to applauding in church, it's really kind of awkward. 
better rip. Tater chip. All right. It is so good to be here. Uh, I, I, uh, on the, in the, uh, do you call it the lobby, the foyer, the apps? The foyer? Okay, in the foyer. Uh, I ran and spoke to a lovely lady who said, I thought this was just going to be a commercial for your ministry because we did a little Sunday school thing downstairs. And, well, it kind of is a big commercial for the ministry, so I'm going to get my commercial out of the way right quick and I'll let you know that uh, we have a Christian retreat center named Crosshairs, uh, and I'm so proud of this because we've seen God do some amazing things down there. It's a former duck lodge outside of Stuttgart, Arkansas. It's 14,000 square feet, 16 bedrooms, three stories. It's a log cabin. Uh, we're sitting on 60 acres with a lake and a fire pit out in the middle of a 280-acre farm. It's just a wonderful place for churches and ministries and families to come for teaching, training, and retreating. We got this in December of 2010. We did uh, 30 retreats our first year. We did 62 last year. We'll probably get up to 80 retreats this year to the glory of God. Isn't that great? Listen, it's a $1.5 million building. We got it for $200,000. And we had enough money donated in one weekend to pay it off. Is God not amazing? So, listen, and, and I'm an idiot. So if God does anything in our ministry, it ain't me. I promise you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mess it up so often. God says, I got you covered. Don't worry. Um, and also, the reason I'm here is because back in uh, 2000 and. Uh, 2001, I was sitting in the choir loft of my church uh, in the alto section where I normally sing. (laughs) And I heard God uh, speak to me in a very high tenor voice, and he told me it was time to get out of television, get into full-time ministry. Not one person in my family, my circle of friends, or my church said, if you really feel like that's what God is asking you to do, then you better go. Not one person encouraged me to take that step of faith. We since started a ministry. Uh, we now call it Crosshairs, and our job is to go into churches and, uh, and retreats and places uh, where we inspire and encourage and motivate people to take really stupid, crazy steps of faith. Because Jesus is not found in the comfortable confines of your boat. He's out in the deep water. If you want to get to, him, to know him on a more personal level and become the person God created you to be, you're going to have to reach him in faith. And so what we try to encourage people to do is that little stirring inside your heart, you know, that little voice that you're hearing every now and then that's telling you to take some crazy step, follow it. Because when we, when we get out into the deep water so far where failure is guaranteed, that's when God begins to intervene in our lives. Isn't that great? You know, there's a saying that we oftentimes like to say that, you know, God is not going to give you a circumstance that you can't control. He's not going to ask you to do anything that without, you know, that, that he's not able to take care. Well, of course he's going to ask you to do things that you can't control. Of course he's going to ask you to step out in places where you don't understand because that's where you meet God. Is out in those places where you're just, God, there's absolutely positively no way I can do this. And God says, now it's time for me to intervene in your life and show you what you are going to be capable of doing if you allow me to fill your life up. I wrote about it in this book called Way Off Base. And uh, it's... uh, what this, it's a little bit of my story, but most of it is, is scripture verses and inspiration, encouragement, and motivation to help you fulfill that little ministry that God's calling you to. Honestly, I think it's probably the greatest book that's ever been written. <laughs> All right. Now, open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Revelation. I, it's at the end of your Bible, by the way. Or if you don't have your Bible, open up your iPad or whatever we're using these days, but just get to the Word of God any way you can get to it. Now, honestly, I did not... um, I was sprinkled Presbyterian. 
I was saved in a Bible church. I was baptized in a lake. I've been a member of a Methodist church and a Baptist church. I was married in a Wesleyan church. I've been in all sorts of different churches. We didn't talk a lot about Revelation when I was growing up. What about you? Right? It's kind of hard to understand. There's a lot of prophecy. There's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of things that were just really hard to preach about. You know, preachers don't like to talk about Revelation because I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to mess it up. There's things in here I can't understand. And when we, and when we oftentimes, when we did study Revelation, all we focused on was the prophecy aspect of Revelation. We got down to the end of the book where we talk about when Jesus is coming back. It's very important for us to know when Jesus is coming back, almost as if to say we can live by our own rules until Jesus, when we know he's coming back next week, we'll get everything straightened out. All right. The problem is when we focus on the prophecy side of Revelation solely and we skip the first five chapters of this book, we skip five of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Because what you're going to find if we look at the first five chapters of the book of Revelation is it's not just about the revealing of the end times. It's not just about the revealing of when Jesus comes back. The first five chapters of Revelation are the revealing of who Jesus is. And if you want to fulfill your ministry, if you want to become the person God created you to be, if you want to live the abundant life that Jesus promised, it's really important that we get to know this Jesus. Amen? Okay, so let's do it. In Revelation chapter 1, this is what we read. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants, the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it, the revelation, by his angel to his bondservant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in them, for the time is near. Now, The revelation of Jesus was given to him by God. God gave the revelation to Jesus to show us. And he communicated the revelation by his angel to John. Now, who was John? Wasn't John the Baptist. It was the Apostle John. But now, who was John? It's important for us to know who this guy is. So in order to understand a little bit more about who John is, I want you to flip back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 20. Matthew chapter 4, verse 20 is where Jesus is looking to find his disciples. Jesus is starting this soon-to-be worldwide ministry, okay? Jesus came down to earth to communicate the most important message in the history of creation, okay? This is a big deal. So it's very important that Jesus, in the short time of his ministry, the three years that he has here, that he finds 12 people who are just the top of their class, because he's got to communicate this revelation to these guys. And then when Jesus ascends to the Father, he knows these 12 guys are going to carry on this word. So it's important to Jesus to find 12 of the sharpest knives in the drawer, all right? The valedictorians of their class. The, the, I mean, just the cream of the crop. <laughs> but then he found the 12 disciples, right? So these are not the top of the heap, A number one. These are... Just like you and me, they're blue-collared knuckleheads, all right? They made a lot of mistakes. Jesus did not choose them for their intellectual acumen. He chose them with a purpose and a plan in mind. So he's going along the Sea of Galilee trying to find these 12 guys, and he sees in verse 18, two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you 
fishers of men. Were they fishers of men when Jesus called them? No. When Jesus calls you, you're not going to be who Jesus calls you to be. When the power of the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, he will turn you into that person. So he's looking for fishers of men, and he finds Andrew and Peter, and he says, I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets, and they followed Jesus. Going on from there, he sees two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, what does that tell us about James and John? Well, for starters, you have to understand that in Palestine at this date and time, they did not have welfare. Okay, They did not have any social programs. So in order for you to eat, you had to work. right? And in order for you to work, someone had to teach you a profession. And usually that was the father teaching the son. Or an older man in the community teaching a younger man in the community how to work. And this was a period called apprenticeship. And then when they were young, this older man would teach the younger man everything he needed to know about the family business. When the father was satisfied that the son had reached a level of maturity, that he was able to go into the family business on his own, usually around the age of 19, 20, 21 years old, he started the family business and the father went off and kept doing what he was doing. Right? It's a great system. The fact that we see Peter and Andrew fishing in the boat by themselves lets you know that they'd already gone through this period of apprenticeship. But James and John are in the boat with Zebedee, their father, fishing. So what does that tell you? That James and John were teenagers. Jump back. Huh? Y'all ever heard that? More evidence lets you know that later, I mean, John was probably, you know, but the book is written in the 90s. John was probably 77 to 80. If he was 16, 15, 16, 17... He was probably in his upper 70s on the Isle of Patmos when he wrote Revelation. He, if he was in his 20s or 30s, he wouldn't have been at the Isle of Patmos when he was writing his book, right? He was a young man when Jesus called him. Now, I don't know about you parents. I'm not sure I would entrust the most important message in the history of creation to a couple of teenage boys, but his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. God knew what he was doing when he chose these two teenage boys. I raised a teenage boy. It's just not going to happen. (laughs) But here's the important thing. You young people, listen to me. God does not want you to wait until you are old to follow Him. He wants to use you right now. He doesn't want you to wait until you are old and educated in order for you to become the person He created you to be. He wants to use you right now. I mean, listen, God used young people so very often throughout Scripture to communicate His message, to get His point across. People like Mary, young teenage girl, when God called her to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Samuel was just a young boy. God hadn't spoken in 400 years. Comes to this little boy named Samuel to speak. Josiah was eight years old when he became the king. Started a revival in the land when he was 16. David was probably a young boy, 11, 12, 13 years old, when God called him to show the nation of Israel. Start a revival in Israel. David showed the entire country how to get ahead. <laughs> Got the... young teenage person that God was able to use God uses young people so very often the problem is when we get old he doesn't want to wait till you're old because when we get old we get a little stiff neck don't we we think God I can handle this business by myself you just go over and handle the Middle East I'll take care of this 
He wants to use young people because for some reason young people still believe that maybe Jesus can do what Jesus said he can do. God wants to use you right now no matter how young or how old you are. If air is coming in and out of your lungs, God has you here for a purpose. Amen? And some of you people in here are very old. All right, another evidence that we know that James and John were teenage boys is the Bible says they were in the boat with their father Zebedee mending their nets. (laughs) They'd obviously screwed something up. Anyway, so John was probably a young teenage boy. John describes himself throughout his gospel that he wrote as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And oftentimes in this book, he, that's what he says at least four or five times. And there's one example, John 13, 23, where they're having dinner and John is actually laying on Jesus. He's reclining upon Jesus' breast while they were eating. Jesus and John were very close. John wasn't just a disciple. He was one of the inner circle. Right? He was one of the inner... When Jesus would go to the Mount of Transfiguration, for example, deep into the Garden of Gethsemane, going to heal somebody's daughter, he would take with him three disciples, Peter, James, and John. And because the Bible says that James was the son of Zebedee and John was his brother, James was the older of the two. John was probably 14, 15, 16 years old when Jesus took him under his wing and discipled and mentored and helped him grow into the disciple that God created. Listen, you want to know how close they were? When Jesus is hanging on a cross, paying the penalty for your sins and mine, he looks down at the foot of the cross and the disciples are gone. Except John. John is down there next to Mary. And Jesus looks down from the cross and he says, Woman, behold your son. John, Behold your mother. Jesus trusts the welfare of his earthly mother to this disciple that he loved. They were close. They were tight. Remember that because that's going to come back to us. But James, or Peter, or Jesus and uh, John were very close. And so John is writing this book. He, again, he was probably about 77 to 80 years old when he started to write Revelation. So that's who John was. Now John is writing this um, To the seven churches that are in Asia. These are seven literal churches, in addition to being seven figurative churches. And let's skip ahead just for the sake of time to verse 9. It says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom and the perseverance which are in Jesus. There was already persecution taking place. We don't like to read Revelation because it upsets us to read words like tribulation and torture and sacrifice we like words like blessing and grace and stuff, you know. We don't read Revelation because there's a lot of bad stuff in it or so we think. But the people to whom the book was written thought it was the greatest book of hope ever because Jesus wins. These people were already enduring persecution. And if you don't think you are going to endure persecution, you got another thing coming. It's coming. If you are preaching the gospel of Jesus, the enemy is going to come against you. Persecution is going to happen, or at least it should be in your life. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on this island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was preaching the gospel in Ephesus and was thrown on the, in prison on this uh, penal colony called Patmos. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. This was not a dream. This was not a vision. This is John being transported through the Holy Spirit. Jesus wanted John in control of all of his faculties. He wanted all of his senses acute because he was going to show him something very important. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. You know, the Lord's Day was not the Sabbath day. The Lord's Day was the day that Jesus rose from the grave, which was 
Thank you. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Because I've been in television since 1987. And people in television are supposed to have these nice, deep, manly voices. And you know, they're supposed to talk like that. And they call that nice, deep, manly voice the voice of God. And I worked with one of those guys. When I first started in television, I was the weather guy. And there was a guy named Dave Baird, who's now a news anchor in Birmingham. Dave would read the news. 19 people died tonight. Now, how, how, how's the weather, Matt? And I said, well, Dave looks good out there. <laughs> you know, it's a little different. And people, supposed to, they call that deep voice the voice of God. And you know it's true. Because if you ever have a church cantata and you need somebody to be the voice of God, Moses, take off your shoes. You know, you always choose the guy with the deep manly voice, right? Because that's the voice of God. Well, that used to bother me because I thought if anybody in television, I've been a Christian since I was eight years old, y'all. If anybody in television should have the voice of God, it should be me. Well, listen, John is up here in heaven and he turns behind he hears Jesus behind him he hears this loud voice like the sound of a trumpet I have yet to hear a bass trumpet <laughs> I think you guys might be surprised when you get up to heaven and hears God with that deep thunderous voice but Jesus on the throne saying come on in my good and faithful servants <laughs> actually what he meant when he said he heard behind him a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet if you've ever heard a trumpet blast it gets your attention. Amen? You, can't, you know a trumpet has sounded. And when you hear the voice of God, you know it's the voice. You hear the voice of God. It got John's attention. He hears behind him a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Again, seven literal churches in Asia Minor. Also seven figurative churches. And you see that in the next two chapters of Revelation. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. These are the seven churches. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to his feet. Eighty-one times in the Gospels, Jesus refers to himself as a son of man. Like we talked about a little bit ago in Sunday school, the Gospels are about the earthly ministry of Jesus. And Jesus emphasized the earthly, the human side of him when he talks about he was Jesus the Christ. Here he was the son of man. And so when John turns around, he sees one like a son of man. This is Jesus clothed in a robe reaching to his feet. If you've ever looked through the book of Leviticus or the law and you saw what the high priest was supposed to wear, this is Jesus in his high priestly role. He sees this robe reaching to his feet, girded across his breast with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like white wool. It was shining. It was gleaming. It wasn't like he had this old man head of white. Look, hair is overrated. (laughs) It wasn't like Jesus had this beautiful mane of white. It was brilliant. It was glowing. It was, you know what it was? If you've ever had a, and we've had them here. We've had these snowfalls that would fall overnight, very accurately predicted by the meteorologists in town. And, and, and the next morning, it was beautiful blue sky, and the sun was shining, and you open the door, and it's just shining off the snow, and it's so bright, you can't even look at it. Think about that picture. It's so bright. It's gleaming. It's brilliant. He sees this hair, this white hair, like a like just wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. A better way to look at this is more like a laser beam. Okay, not a little campfire. You know, beautiful little lipid pools of fire. In it. No, it was more like a laser beam. 
It's very easy for me to explain my actions. It's very easy for me to justify my thoughts. But when I stand before the righteous judge with those laser beam-like eyes that are going to see right through me, I, I can't excuse me. Jesus knows you better than you know you. You ain't hiding nothing from him. And that you cannot escape that judge, that vision that's going to see right through your heart and your soul. And that's what the eyes of the Lord are like. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a fire. His voice like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, the leaders of the seven churches. Out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword, which of course is... The word of God, because he is the word. And his face was like the sun shining in extreme. Again, it's very hard. Don't go outside and look at the sun, by the way. Don't do that. But if, if you've ever had, and the sun would shine so bright, and you just can't look at it. It's brilliant. It's gleaming. It just, it's like, remember Moses when he was in the presence of God and he wanted to see what God looked like? He said, dude, you can't handle what I look like. But God allowed him to see the, the glow from his tail, you know. So brilliant, it's hard to look at. And when John sees this, verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Man, when I was, when I read that, it stopped me in my tracks. Because who was John? Remember, John and Jesus were tight. They were close. I mean, they're so close. Remember, look, remember John 13, 23. They're eating dinner, and John is just laying all over Jesus. He is so comfortable with Jesus. He's just laying on him while they're eating dinner. But when he sees Jesus for who he really is, he can't even look at him. He falls on his face like a dead man. Wow. See, here's the thing. Why that is so important is it because I think so many of us in our culture today get so comfortable with Jesus that we can easily dismiss it. When Jesus comes to us and he calls us to a particular task, we can say, thank you, Jesus, I appreciate it, but no, I don't think so. It's very easy to dismiss the kind, gentle, sweet, loving carpenter. Or the chubby little baby in a manger. Oh, it's my buddy Jesus. And we can just dismiss him. We can't dismiss this Jesus. And when John sees Jesus for who he really is, he just falls on his face in worship. Let me show you another picture of who Jesus really is. He's not the picture that so many of us have in our homes you know that picture, that long-haired, green-eyed, Roman-nosed hippie? That so many of us easily, he's so sweet and kind and loving and tender and caring and compassionate. We can write that Jesus off really easily. But look at Revelation chapter 19. I saw heaven, in verse 11, opened up. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon... By the way, are there going to be pets in heaven? <laughs> yeah. There's a horse up there. Huh? Wolves are lying down with sheep. I mean, my dog is going to heaven. 
I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon that horse is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, upon his head are many crowns, as he has a name written upon him which nobody knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That's brave heart, Jesus, right? That's not kind, sweet, loving, tender, hippie Jesus. This is Jesus for who he really is. Now, why is that so important? Because, guys, listen, and I want you to be very clear when I say this. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. We don't worship the Jesus of the Gospels. We worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We worship the Messiah, the Christ. We worship the Son of God. We worship the living one. We worship Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who we worship today. Not the earthly Jesus who was back then that came to us in a form that we could understand. But we worship the Christ, the Messiah. And like we heard this morning, that Jesus comes to live inside you and me. And so when we pray things like, my God shall supply your needs according to his riches and glory. This is the Jesus who has endless resources. When we pray things, you know, help my family, get me out of the situation, save my children, this is the Jesus who provides us with that power. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is the Jesus who gives you strength. Not the carpenter. Not the baby. This is the Jesus that we worship. But let me close by looking at one more thing here. Look at this. He says, when I turned, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon his right hand of favor his right hand of power he lays it on me and he says don't don't be afraid brother i'm the same guy i was back then i don't be afraid i am the first and the last the living one i was dead but behold i'm alive forevermore and i have the keys of death and of hades i knew when you were born i know when you're gonna die and all the days in between I, I created you with a purpose and a plan in mind. I wove you together in your mother's womb, and I know the days that are ordained for you when as yet there wasn't even one of them. I've got you right there in the palm of my hand. I love you. I created you with a purpose and a plan. There is something more valuable that you could possibly fathom for your life. This is the Jesus that enables that to happen. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote my closing statement right here. I was going to give one, but you know we talked about Ephesians this morning. Just listen to this, and I hope you get a hold of this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Everybody has been called, not just your pastor. Everybody has been called and commissioned by God. I pray that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in you. God has inherited something in you. You are the hands and the feet of the body of Christ. If he is going to get this world saved, if he's going to get this world changed, if he's going to make a difference in the world today, he's going to do it through his body. Because he's not going to send Jesus back down to earth to do it. Because the next time he sends Jesus back, it's too late. You are plan A. There is no plan B. That's what he has inherited in you. 
I pray that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What, are the, so, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? This is all in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. When he raised him from the dead. When he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, earthly power, spiritual power, Jesus is above it all. Somebody said, hey, look, there may be life on other planets. There may be life on other planets, but if there is, Jesus is Lord there too. Far above every name that is named, not just in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection underneath the feet of Jesus. And he gave him to you. This Jesus we just talked about in Revelation. This glorious Messiah, Christ, has come to live inside of you. If you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you of your unrighteousness, and to be your savior. Do you guys, can you fathom the importance of who Jesus is? The rest of the Bible... It it comes together when we understand who we are in Christ. This is why God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die on that cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that you could become the men and the women that he called and commissioned you to be, to live the abundant life that he called you to. This is the Christ that makes that happen. Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Have you asked him to come into your life redeem you from the curse of the law, to be your savior, to live for him? Have you done that? If you are Christians, are you taking advantage of the power that is available to you in Christ? Because this Jesus wants to use you to change your family, to change your community, to change your world for the glory of God. Amen? We love you, God, and we thank you for this. We love this message. Father, we thank you so much that you loved us enough to send your only son so that we become the people that you created us to be. Father, we're humbled. We are so humbled at that you loved us enough, that you lavished us with your grace, that you've given us this responsibility. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will fill us up, that this Jesus would come to live inside us and help us to fulfill our mission. Now, Father, I know that there are people right here that have never asked you to come into their lives and forgive them of their sins. And if you're out there and you know that there's something deeper to your life, that you're missing something, I pray that you would pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, Come into my heart now and forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for me. That you paid the penalty for my sins. But you didn't stay dead. You were raised again. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. Come into my heart now and be my Savior. And if you prayed that prayer... Life is never going to be the same, but you're going to have to tell somebody so that they can work with you and pray with you and help you in this journey. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.